When I was uh, a little boy, I, I played Little League Baseball. And when I say I played Little League Baseball, I'm using that term really loosely because I didn't get to play that much. And I didn't get to play that much for two very specific reasons. One is I wasn't really that good, uh, and so I didn't get a whole lot of playing time. And even in Little League, you know, at some point they play everybody. But the other reason I didn't play is because we typically had our games on Tuesdays. And when I was a little boy, my parents planted a church in the YMCA just down the street from our house. And so I was not only the pastor's son, but I was the sound man. And so I had to be at church uh, to run sound. And we didn't have a worship team back then, so we would play cassettes, you know, for worship. And I was kind of the sound man. And so I couldn't, you know, uh, I couldn't miss church. And so typically I would always have to leave early for my little league game which meant that if I didn't get to play in those first few innings, I, I didn't get to play at all. And so I told you already that I wasn't that good, but one day coach said to me, hey, I'm going to start you this week. Maybe he took pity on me. Maybe he was getting some pressure from my parents. I don't know. I don't care. But I get to start on that particular Tuesday. And so coach put me in right field. I felt like I was kind of far from all the action, and maybe it was a strategic thing on his part, but I was out in right field, the game hadn't started yet. Things were taking a little too long. And I thought, you know, I probably should save some for the game. Let me sit down. And so I sit down pregame. Coach takes one look at me, grabs me off the out, outfield, sits me on the bench, and I never got to start or play that much in Little League. And I, you know, I thought, man, what might have happened? This could have been my breakout game. Maybe some scouts might have been walking past, and my life might be totally different right now had I not missed that opportunity to start simply because I sat down. I say that uh, with a little bit of humor, but I learned a valuable lesson that day, and these, that memory of me being pulled out of the outfield stays with me uh, because as a person who now leads teams and a person who is in charge of uh, managing and running people, people, teams of people, I realized that what coaches are mostly looking for is people who will work hard, people who will hustle, people who won't sit down in the outfield. And we got a few coaches in here, and I've talked to coaches, and they, they, they might tell you that their most talented player, their most athletic player, usually isn't their best player. You talk to some teachers, and they'll tell you that usually their, their best students aren't actually the smartest kids in the room. You talk to some band leaders, and those band leaders might tell you that the, the, their star player might not be the most talented or most gifted person on the band. You talk to a military officer who runs a particular unit of men, and they might tell you that their best soldier isn't necessarily the strongest most muscly guy. You talk to pastors and they might tell you that their star person or their star leader might not be the people that know the Bible the most, the people who've been in church the longest. You've talked to all of those different people from all different cross-sections of life and they'll typically tell you that their best person, their star person, their go-to person is not the smartest, not the best looking, not the most gifted. It's the person that will hustle. It's the person that'll move. And I see Coach back there, he's shaking his head. It's the person that'll move, that'll get after it. My father would tell me all the time, son, you're not the fastest guy, so you're going to have to work harder than everybody else. You're not the sharpest student, so you've got to read a little bit more uh, 
Uh, you got to press into this thing. Hustle is what we're looking for. People who succeed in life, people who get after it in life, they usually have this, this hustle that we're talking about. Well, there's one problem with uh, hustle in a sort of natural sense is that we, we're humans, right? And as humans, we tend to be a little bit selfish. And so our tendency is to hustle for ourselves. Now, we might have learned in the business world or in academia or in these various other spheres of life that if I hustle, it'll advance my career. If I hustle, it'll stand out. But by and large, we hustle for ourselves to advance ourselves. But in God's kingdom and in God's economy, he calls us to hustle for something other than, something bigger than ourselves. If you're wondering what he's calling us to hustle to and for, he's calling us to hustle for God and others. We're talking about hustling this morning. And then I think this whole idea of hustling and pressing in and being active in the kingdom of God for God and others really fits well into the series that we've been working our way through over the last month or so. It's a series that we've simply been calling Devoted. And I've said week after week that this is a great word that we use to describe our lives as Christians and as followers of Jesus. And again, I know that in a room this size, there might be a number of people that don't particularly identify as a Christian. They might just be checking this out. Somebody might have invited you. You could be here for any number of reasons. But what we focus on here is what it takes and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And devoted means to give all or a large part of oneself, your time, your energy, and your resource. That's what to be devoted is. Devotion looks like, we've said week after week, love, loyalty, and enthusiasm. Love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for a person, for an activity, or a cause. And we believe here that that really sums up what this Christian life should look like. Love, loyalty, fidelity, enthusiasm, eagerness for the things of God and for his people. And so we've jogged through this series. We started by talking about, you know, how we have to undevote ourselves to things. In order to engage some things, in order to fill ourselves with the right things, we have to unfill ourselves with all of the wrong things. We continue by talking about the importance of being devoted to Christian community and cultivating a healthy soul or inner life. Jordan talked a few weeks ago about being devoted to the Word of God, the Bible, the truth. David gave a fantastic message last week about being devoted to accountability, surrendering yourself and your life to others so that we can advance, become more spiritually mature. Today I want to continue this series, the message that I'm simply calling Devoted to the Hustle. Devoted to the Hustle. And when I say hustle, I don't mean scheming and planning and doing something illegal. I mean hustle in a sense that we're getting after life in a way that is pleasing to God, that we're pursuing the right things and we're leaning in to the right things in a way that will get us to where God wants us to be, devoted to the hustle. I want to look at a passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you today, feel free to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Some of you have your phones and your tablets this morning. Devoted to the hustle. Philippians chapter 3, while you get that. By the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to use those. If you don't have a Bible at home that you can understand, feel free to take that home 
as a gift from us to you. If you know somebody, by the way, that needs a Bible, you can feel free to take that to them as well. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 12. While you get that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, truth. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this church. I thank you for how you're growing and enlarging us. Father, I even thank you for our kids that are in here today. I pray, Father, that uh, everybody in here, no matter how old or young, where they are on the uh, spectrum of faith, that they would be able to get something out of this this morning, that they would be able to hear, receive, and respond to you. Lord, teach us how to hustle in a way that is pleasing to you. And so, Father, I just ask that you would use this sermon this morning for your glory. Move the preacher out of the way so that your truth, your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, or writing, I should say. Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, that I have already reached perfection, but I press, that's a really important word, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, verse 13, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. That's really important, too. One thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus, is calling us. Verse 14 again, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Now, this is a really pivotal passage. Some of you recognize this chapter and verse, and this is familiar to you. And Paul opens this little section here by saying, make no mistake, I'm not puffing myself up here. I haven't arrived. Paul says, I've got a ways to go, and I resonate with that. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not who I used to be, right? I'm a work in progress. I haven't arrived yet, but Paul says, there's one thing that I'm focusing on. And I love this because we, we're kind of emotionally and, and, and spiritually ADD, and it's hard for us to focus And some of us will never live the abundant life. It's not because we don't love Jesus. It's not because we're not in the Word. It's because we just haven't found that one thing to focus on. Haven't boiled our interest and our efforts down to pursuing and chasing hard after one thing. Paul says, one thing I seek. And he says, I press. I press. I love that word. Changes the whole tone of this passage. Paul isn't saying, I'm going to mosey toward this one thing. I'm going to sashay, if you've ever used that word, toward the the goal or this, that, and the other. He says, I press. I press. And that word press there simply means to pursue, to chase something down with urgency and intentionality. I press, Paul says, press toward what? Perfection. Another version says the heavenly prize or eternal life. The NIV says I press toward the goal. The King James Version says I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Paul says I need to hustle after this thing. 
I press after it. But what's the calling? What's the one thing that I'm supposed to press after? Jesus answers this question for us when the young man comes up to him and says, hey, what must I do to to have eternal life? Jesus, in short, says you must love God and love people. And some of you say, there he is again with the love God, love people. Every week he says that. I say that every week because that's the one thing that we're called to press after. That's the one thing that we're called to pursue. And if you were to reduce your energy and your effort and your focus to loving God and loving others, your life would change in a very noticeable way. We're so used to getting 10 steps for this and five steps for this and throw some salt over your shoulder and fix this. But Jesus says the answer to eternal life, the answer to functionality, healthy, wholesome living is to pursue the prize, the goal, and that is loving God and loving others. But here's the deal. You can't love anything right. You can't love anything or anyone well without serving it. And so what Jesus is saying, in essence, is the key to eternal life is loving God and loving others. Said differently, the key to eternal life is serving God with your life, with your time, with your energy and your resource, and serving others. Serving God and serving others, period. Here's the problem. We don't really like uh, that word serving. Now, we like to be served. (laughs) We like to be served. We love for somebody to cater to us and pamper to us and and come when we ring the bell, but we we don't really like to serve ourselves. And so in God's economy, in order for us to really live out our life and, our, and, what, and what God's called us to do, we really have to have our guts rewired. We really have to attain some new values, particularly a value for serving others. And we're talking about hustling, and I want you to think about hustling not just for yourself, but hustling in serving God and serving others. And so in the grand scheme of the kingdom, there's no better example of a servant than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fantastic example. Let's look at one example in John chapter 13. Would you turn there quickly as we look at Christ, our example? And then we're going to pull a few things out from his example. Paul says, I press. Press after what? The goal. What is the goal? Eternal life. How do I attain eternal life? Love God. Love others. Put differently, serve God. Serve others. Devoted to the hustle. John chapter 13, I'll start at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of this love. Jesus is going to put on a serving clinic. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize... Um, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Verse 12, 
When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed, Jesus says, if you do them. Now, Jesus is giving us a clinic, close-up window onto how to serve. It's a very pronounced picture of how we're supposed to live our life. But Jesus understands that his time on earth is drawing near, and he seeks to teach his disciples, including us, a lesson that we shouldn't soon forget. And you have to use your mind's eye to set the stage here. Uh, the disciples imagine them around a table reclining for a meal, enjoying the company of their brothers, eating meal, talking. And so Jesus, without announcing anything, gets up from this table and begins to like disrobe, not in an inappropriate way, but he takes off his outer garment and he takes this towel and wraps it around his waist. Now, this is not an unfamiliar procedure because uh, these homes typically had servants. And so Jesus taking off his outer garment, wrapping a towel around his waist, pouring some water into a basin, and then he proceeds to go one by one by his disciples and wash their feet. About now, uh, they understand that Jesus is the Messiah, although they tend to be a little fuzzy about those details from time to time. And so this would have been something strange for them. Now, it would have been strange to have their feet washed if they come into somebody's home, because that's like just typical hospitality back then. But it would have been really, really odd for their teacher, their master, the Messiah, to be doing this. It's unusual because it's Jesus. And so when I look at this passage, particularly as it relates to what it means to hustle for God and others, to serve one another, to press into a life of service, when I look at this particular passage, I see three valuable lessons that Jesus teaches us as he challenges us to devote ourselves to the hustle, devote ourselves to serving others. The first one is that you have to know who you are. I'll say that again. The first one is in a really important one. It's probably the first step. And this whole servant thing, this whole hustling around for others, is you have to know who you are. If you're going to devote yourself to this, if you're going to be who God has called you to be, if you're going to live a life of a servant, you have to know who you are. This is a major hurdle for many people, perhaps many people in this room. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew it. He also knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. And as he knew that, verse 4 says, so he got up from the meal and did his servant thing. Jesus knew who he was. There are fewer things in the world more dangerous in a good way, more potent, more effective than a person who knows who they are. On the flip side of that, there are fewer things worse and more dangerous than somebody who has something to prove. Somebody who's got something to prove in a bad way. And you don't need to look far 
to find this, just turn on the news. We see this in government, people who have something to prove. And you've got this notion that there's something below the surface that's got to be affecting what this person is saying and their actions. There's somebody who's trying to be impressive here. What is going on? You don't have to look far. You look in law enforcement, and sometimes you say, man, this person is being totally belligerent. This person is mishandling people. What are they trying to prove? You step into the classroom and, and academia, and you see people just stepping outside of themselves and go, what is going on? What is this person trying to prove? If you're a musician like me, you play in bands, and you see people overplaying and showboating and hot-dogging, you go, man, what are you trying to prove? See this in our workplace? professional relationships. You see this in romantic relationships in family. You see it in the neighborhoods around you. People doing all sorts of wild things because they've got something to prove. What's the problem? person doesn't know who they are. They don't know who they are. And so all of their hustling, all of their energy, all of their efforts, many of their words and energy go towards trying to prove something to somebody who probably doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme. John says this about Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God. Jesus knew he was the man. He didn't need anybody to tell him. <clears throat> and he didn't need you to know who he was in order for him to be who he was. Jesus was comfortable in his own skin. If I want to be like anybody, I want to be like Jesus. I just imagine that Jesus just sort of walked with a confident swagger. I don't want to say trying to be chest puffed out, try to be impressive. He just, you know, the person just walked differently when they know who they are. They come into a room and, and they, just, they just exude confidence. I didn't say arrogance, but when you're comfortable in your own skin, it just totally impacts you relate. One of the greatest barriers to being a servant is not knowing who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, then you have to guess. You don't know who you are, you've got to make something up. And we typically don't make something up that's, you know, not awesome. Right? If, we're gonna, if I get to pick somebody, I'm going to pick somebody large and in charge. Somebody special. Somebody with some juice. Somebody that people wouldn't mind respecting. And so i got to create this person, and i got to spend energy and effort to do it and to live this out. I spend a whole lot of energy trying to be something in front of others, and you wonder why you're so tired. You wonder why you're so exhausted. You wonder why when you get confused, when you get... People, you know, I got to be this way over here, and I got to be this way over here, and God forbid these worlds ever come together, and I got to choose on the fly which person I'm going to be. And so, if importance is important to you, if being known and respected is your highest value, you will never serve anybody in any meaningful way unless it has some immediate benefit to you. And so this is why we're looking at Jesus this morning, because Jesus didn't have that problem. You had a problem with Jesus, that was your problem. You didn't respect or respond to who he was, that was your issue. Knew who he was. Didn't need anybody to tell him. 
And so as I grow and as I want to be effective, as I want to be successful, as I want to hustle and press, as Paul says, toward the one thing, I know that if I don't know who I am in Christ, it's going to be hard for me to serve. Now, especially, I say this, especially coming from where I come from, growing up where I grew up. Man, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. The, the worst thing you could be was a chump. The worst thing you could do is not assert yourself and, and be larger when you needed to be larger. And so, you know, that socialized, I'm wired to not be humble. Because kindness is weakness. Meekness is weakness. And in our broader culture, you've got to be bigger than you are. You've got to be tougher than you are. You've got to make sure they, don't, they know you're not a punk. And so that really is counter-cultural you know, to the kingdom. It really pushes back against Jesus and says, no, the way up in the kingdom economy is down. Jesus said, no, 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 let me defend you. Don't, don't defend yourself. Don't feel like you've got to tell everybody off and straighten everybody out. Just Jesus, let me fight your battles. Walk in humility. Walk in humbleness. Walk in meekness. And that's really hard for some of us. And that's why your marriage is the way it is. Because you've got to tell them and you're doing the whole neck thing the whole time. You, you're... Maybe that's just my wife. I don't know. <laughs> this is why you can't get ahead at work. You're great at what you do, but you got to tell everybody, you know, where to get off. And you got to make sure that this happens. You're just, you're just directing traffic and telling everybody, giving everybody your whole mind. And so you watch the people that advance in life. You watch the people... That, that, that are confident in their own skin. You watch the people that God does mighty things with. And it's the person, people who know who they are, and people who are able to serve and, and, and get low and, and be humble. And they're pressing, as Paul says, toward the prize. They're getting it. They might get a few bumps along the way, but they get it. So if you want to hustle and you want to serve in the way that is pleasing to the Lord, then you have to know who you are. Who are you? You're a son. You're a daughter. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Your sin has been paid for. You're free. You're, you're alive. You don't have anything to prove to anybody. Right? And so once you square that away, that's the first lesson here. The second thing we see is that you can't serve well if you're up high. You can't serve well when you're up high. Last time we talked about this, we said you got to do what? You got to get low. You need something memorable. Just say, get low. Somebody say, get low. Somebody else say, get low. Get low. You can't serve well up high. Now, if I ask somebody to come up and wash my feet, I'm not going to do that. If I ask you to come up and wash my feet and you were intent not to kneel or to, you know, to, to sit on the floor you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't wash my feet well. My, my feet are on the floor, right? And so Jesus, if, if, if he didn't get low, if he didn't reduce himself, if he didn't humiliate himself in this setting, especially being the person of power, being the person of influence, if he didn't get low, he wouldn't have done any foot washing. Maybe he would have washed their hands, maybe they, their eyebrows or something, but he wouldn't have been able to serve them in a way that he intended had he not gotten low. So there are many, many things that complicate our getting low. 
I talked about one of them. You don't know, you don't know who you are. You've got to make it up. You've got to be this other person. And the fruit of that, the spinoff to that is just our pride. I'm somebody. Somebody ought to wash my feet. I ain't washing my feet. I've got a degree. I went to school. I'm a pastor, right? In God's economy, the way up is down. The way up is down. Scripture says that he got up from a meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet. The scriptures tell us that Peter protested. He said, Lord, you ain't going to wash my feet. You're the Messiah. You're my Savior, Lord. He thought he was doing it for Jesus' favor. Get up from there. Jesus says, be quiet. I need to do this. And we'll later see that Jesus says, don't stop me from doing it because you'll need to do this as well. And maybe Peter saw that coming, which is why he protested, right? He didn't want to be on the hook. But Jesus says, the way up is down. And this is striking because this is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. And it turns this whole thing on its head, the way our world works, how we value importance and how we pursue significance. And we love to see our name and lights. And we have this aversion to serving and getting low and humbling ourselves. But we see Jesus doing it. We see Jesus doing it in this situation, but this is not like new for him. This is not something that he's just like, okay, I gotta will myself to be a servant. I gotta, I gotta, okay, just think about it, just do it. Do it, Jesus, get up from the table. Get up, just get up from the table. It's gonna be embarrassing. Get up from the table, go get the towel, Jesus. You can do it. You don't have to do this. Because this is who he is. You don't believe me? Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul challenges us, humans, that have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Verse 6, though he was God, Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Listen, Jesus at that table was doing a small sort of uh, physical demonstration of what he had done when he left heaven and he came to earth. Jesus got up from his throne, <laughs> took off his godness, cloaked himself in humanity, again, humanness, that towel around his waist descended onto earth to deal with earthlings, to be among us. Now imagine how, you, you know, how, this is a serious lowering of one's status. God, seated in heavenly places, shot caller, go down there with the humans. Wretched humans that will deny you, beat you, crucify you. Go ahead and do that. This is Jesus lowering himself. This is who he was. And some of you might say, well, how do, I, how do I become a servant? Is this one day you wake up and you just see somebody needing to be served and you rush to them without having spent any time or energy developing an instinct? You don't, you don't just serve just overnight. In the same way that you're not truly a courageous person overnight. I heard a preacher say, how do you become courageous? Well, you, you do a million micro-courageous things in your lifetime, and when that one big thing happens where you need to throw yourself in front of a bus to save some kids, you will have built up 
an instinct for courage. Cowardly person isn't just one day going to do something massively courageous in the same way. And if we don't begin somewhere, if we don't start developing an instinct of serving others, we will never, ever, ever get there, which is why we start with the reality that this is who you are. It may not be what you're doing right now. You might be full of yourself. You might be prideful as it relates to your relationships, whether at work or whether at home or whether at school. But I came to tell you that this is who you are. This is who we are. We are servants. And Jesus was able to get low because this was who he was. Who he was. And I'm going to tell you the people that I respect the most are people who walk in humility, people who are servants. I tell you that I'm probably in the vineyard today. I'm part of the Vineyard Association of Churches. I'm a vineyard church planter today because one of the first few times that I came to the vineyard church in Urbana, Urbana, Illinois, just a couple hours south of here, I saw the executive pastor walking through the aisles. He was picking up paper and straightening chairs. Now, to you, that might not be a big deal. But I spent a lot of time in church circles and among preachers where the higher you got, the more important you got, the less you did. I've observed preachers having two or three people, one to carry his water, the other to carry his bag, one to wipe his brow on, you know, on a moist day. I'll tell you, even as a kid, that didn't seem right to me. I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody. You know, do whatever you want to do. I'm talking about me. As a kid, when I would read the scriptures and I would read stories about Jesus, I just thought, man, that seemed like Jesus would have somebody carrying his stuff like that. It seemed like Jesus would have people running all around, just catering to everyone. Have Jesus using people to go get their dry cleaning and babysit their kids. It just didn't see, that seem right to me. And so when I come into the vineyard and I see the executive pastor, I mean, it's a good-sized church. My brother is walking up and down the aisle picking up paper. Straightening chairs, came in during the week and he was out back spray painting a new fresh coat of black spray paint on the podium. I thought, I like that. Oh, I like that. I said, I knew it. I knew this is how we're supposed to be. And as I got to know those guys, it didn't take me a long time to get a meeting with them. I need to talk to somebody, talk to me. They need to come and talk to me. They weren't full of themselves. They were accessible. They weren't reading their press, own press clippings all the time. Their name wasn't all over everything, and their picture wasn't all over the place. And I thought, man, this is something that really resonated with me because this is who I saw Jesus as being. He was God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He could have taken every opportunity to put the spotlight on him and have people catering to his every whim. Instead, though, instead, he chose to get low. He chose to get low. And the thing that he pressed toward and the mark that he tried to achieve was what God had put him on this earth for, to give glory to God, to serve God, and to be a blessing and to serve and to hustle and to ransom his life for other people to death. He took this mantle of servanthood all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. 
And so I say to you, how low do you get? How low do you get? Now don't answer me. Answer me in your head because I want you to answer honestly. How low do you get? Are you too important to serve others? You have an inflated sense of your own self. Are you more important than Jesus? The people I respect most have a way of being the lowest person in the room. And don't misunderstand me today, people. I'm not talking about low self-esteem. I'm not talking about, yeah, just a, I mean, I'm nobody, and they don't look at me because I'm hideous. I'm not talking about that. I mean, I know people, man, who work hard. Any room they're in, they're trying to be the lowest person in the room. They're trying to get under everybody in there. My father was this way. Somebody would say something, you know, that was unflattering about themselves. My father always had something that was more embarrassing about himself. Talk to a person, hey, man, it didn't matter. They were completely raggedy. He would find something about them to compliment. And before, you know, spending five minutes with my dad, the person was walking a little taller. They were smiling a little wider because he worked really hard to get under them. There's people on our leadership team, man. Even when I say, hey, I want you to just come to this meeting. I want to serve you guys. Don't clean up. Don't wash a plate. Don't wash a cup. I look up five minutes. Somebody's in the kitchen washing something. Get out of the kitchen. I want you in here. I want to serve you. And and we've just gathered a bunch of servants. We try to bake it and knead it into the dough of the culture around here. It's not about us. And what it means to press and what it means to hustle and what it means to be a servant means to get low and get under everybody in the room. I'd like to just see a whole room full of our leaders just trying to get under each other. That could probably get annoying, but you, you understand what I'm saying. And I'm not talking about getting under each other's skin. That's a whole other thing. I'm talking about getting low. No, let me serve you, man. Let me, no, let me get you. need something. This is a beautiful thing because, you know, there are no holes. Because when somebody sees a hole, they just go and stick their finger in it. There used to be somebody saying, hey, I saw a problem over there. Yeah, you better go take care of it. What happens now, somebody said, I, I saw a problem and I fixed it. Hey, I saw a need. Maybe you didn't notice, but so-and-so is really struggling with the groceries. Don't worry about it. Church doesn't need to write a check. We, we already took care of it. Or I saw this and I took it. I, I just got low. My instinct was, was to get low. And so I talked a couple of weeks about, in, in the context of Christian community, what we do is we rub off on one another. And what, what should happen is a selfish person walks through this door, and then they come back, and they come back, and they come back, and after the, a year they look back on themselves and they don't recognize themselves. Why? Because we rubbed off on them. We rubbed off on them. It used to be all about them, and now they're plugging holes. And now they got their ear to the ground, and they're look, listening for needs, and they've got their eye you know, scanning the auditorium and scanning the church and scanning our system to see if there's some way that they can serve, some way that they can help, some way that they can get low. You can't do this from up high. Even Jesus knew that he couldn't do his job. He couldn't serve God and humanity from heaven. He had to do what? He had to get low. So the third lesson that we learn here is that Jesus challenges us to live this way. Man, that's a great point. That's some great teaching. No, there's a step for us. We've got to respond to this. And Jesus tells us in verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set a what? Example that you should do as I have done for you. And I love verse 17 because this puts it all together. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you know them. That's not what he said. You will be blessed if you receive them. You will be blessed if you blog about it. You will be blessed if you tweet about it. You will be blessed if you get a bumper sticker that says something similar. Jesus says you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. Some of you might have wondered, why doesn't this preacher talk more about blessings? Why does he need to say at the beginning of the year that it's about to rain? Get ready, get ready, get ready. It's about to happen for you. This is your year. You're coming out. I have anything against that. Uh, but most of you won't come out. And for many of you, this won't be your year. And the most obvious reason, I said it a couple weeks ago, is that you won't do what it takes to have the type of year that God wants you to have. You won't. Because importance is too important to you. Being served is, is too important to you. And Jesus says that the way to, to receive blessing in your life is not to pray about it and travail about it and call the intercessors. It's not to send a check to Brother Olstein or, or Brother, you know, Copeland and touch the screen. When they say touch the screen, maybe that might get you some. But the way to be blessed, Jesus says, is if you wash the smelly feet of one another. These brothers weren't walking around in Jordans. They're walking around the desert in sand. These were some gnarly feet. And so this is no easy task. You got to lower yourself to, you know, I don't want to wash my own feet some days. I don't want to wash Eugene's feet. You probably have fantastic feet. It's still feet. Jesus says you will be blessed if you do this. And some of you aren't blessed today because you won't do this for more than a week. You'll do this on your terms. You'll do this on your turf. You'll do this if somebody's watching. You'll do this if there's an immediate benefit for you. But in the trenches and in the darkness, in the back rooms of life, you won't serve if nobody's watching. You won't serve if there's not a way you can selfie, you know, tweet it out, humble brag on yourself, throw a little credit to Jesus, you know, you won't do it. And so some of us, not all of us, we won't live the abundant life because we won't. So we haven't understood what the high calling is, what the, what the goal is, what the prize is, and we'll never do this. Jesus tells his guys in Matthew chapter 20, 25, he says, your rulers of this world lord it over people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Now, Jesus isn't, you know, challenging us to go and collect armor bearers. I just spoke, you know, I just pretty much put that away, right? What Jesus is saying is that even as we instruct and disciple, Jesus understands that there's a value for 
discipling this need for importance out of people. And it served us well over the years. We've been doing this for about seven years. In those early days, people see a church plan, they go, ooh, I can go over there and be important. Big fish, little pond. I've preached a couple sermons. I've got a website. They'll be happy to get me. And so they come, hey, pastor, love this sermon, man. Hey, there was, you know, we knew we were in the right place because there was a glory cloud over the place. And all those other bozos, pastors where, you know, church I used to go, they got nothing on you. You're pre-. And in the early days, I used to say, yeah, yeah, tell me more about this. You saw a glory cloud, huh? Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Can I tell you that those people never stuck around? Not one of them. Not people that came in, led with their resume, led with flattery, tried to immediately work their way to the podium. None of those people ever stuck around. You know why? Because I learned a little trick. I said, listen, listen, great. Man, glad you're here. Um, Tell you what, you want to help? Let's see. You know, Kids Church. Yeah. They were just telling me they need a few more people down there. Oh, you know what? You come a little early and make coffee and, you know, Mark needs some help straightening the chairs. And, yeah, man, we would love, you know, meet me at the food pantry. All of a sudden, they don't like that. I didn't see a glory cloud after that. My preaching wasn't that impressive after that. Well, for the people who responded to that, say, meet you at the food pantry? Okay, cool. I never did that before. Just show me what to do. I'll show up. They say, I need, you need somebody in kids' church? I don't have any kids, but I can, you know, I can read a book, and I can maybe teach a lesson. You need coffee? Make I guess I drink coffee. It follows that I should probably help make it. And those people are the people who stuck around. And so the, I have great interest. We lay hands on no man suddenly, right, as the Scripture says. We put people through their paces, and not to have just hoops for them to drum through, but just to see what they're, what they're made of. Listen, we, there's no hot shots here. If I, if I don't get to be a hot shot, there's not going to be any other hot shots. If I don't have a special seat somewhere, then you won't have one. You know where my car is parked? <laughs> it's in the hospital parking lot. You know where I ask my leaders to park? In the hospital parking lot. Because it's not about us here. It's not about us here. The way up is down Way up is down. Jesus says you will be blessed if you live this way and if you do this. And here's the secret. The secret is you're going to only learn this if you do it. You're going to only learn this if you do it. You're going to only get this if you taste and see that God's goodness flows through the vehicle of you getting low and serving somebody else. There's no way for you to taste this otherwise. So you just got to take my word for it and you got to put God to the test, and you got to try this for about 30 days to see won't something new kick in in your heart, to see won't God begins to rewire you in a way that changes your whole outlook on the world. you got to try it. you got to start somewhere. And you say, preacher, okay, you've convinced me. At least you've shamed me into this. Tell me how do I start. And I just think if you want to hustle for God and others, you want to be devoted to the hustle in meaningful ways, loving God, loving others, seeking the kingdom first and having everything else be added, pressing into a life of service. You know, and I say these all the time. These are very, very practical steps. The first place that I tell you to start, you got to hustle at home, guys. you got to hustle at home. 
And somebody like, did you skip one in that second? The kingdom comes first? Do you th- God's a kingdom man. He's a, God's a family man, right? He's not going to have you doing all this stuff in the kingdom and have your family be over in the snowbank someplace. And I say this every time I talk about servanthood because some of us don't get it. If I'm not serving my wife and I'm not serving my kids at home, I, I have missed it. I have missed it. And this bears repeating because we tend to want to go where we get the most praise. We tend to want to go where the spotlights are. We tend to want to go where the pats on the backs are. And the dailiness of family life, whether you're married or not, just doesn't come with that many pats on the back. Anybody can testify. (coughs) Baby, I I I cooked dinner. You're supposed to cook dinner. Who's supposed to cook dinner? <laughs> Maybe your wife doesn't say that. No, my wife's very grateful. But I'm, if I came in and say, hey, baby, I, I, got, I got dinner on the table. You, you're a stay-at-home dad. Who's supposed to cook the dinner? <laughs> a loose door now, baby? I, I, I fixed that. I took care of it. Okay. There's some other stuff loose upstairs. <laughs> it can be very thankless, Right? And so I just want to make you aware of the tendency that we have to lean toward the light. Because the church, man, they deal with you one Sunday a, a week and maybe see you at small group or something. And so you're real impressive there. Oh, that was a great sermon. You really bought the word. What I appreciate about my wife most Sundays is that she'll say, you know, that was, that was a good message. But she will tell me, you know, what I, what I could improve upon. Right? He said, why are you going a little long? And, you know, that point didn't really make sense. And you kind of stumbled when you read the scriptures. I said, thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. <laughs> so, so if I'm not careful, I can lean toward, you know, the person who says, hey, that's a life-changing word, man. Of God. Oh, my goodness. And you, you, just, man, you just don't know the glory was on you today. <laughs> so I lean away from the things that are most important. I told you I preach on the side. My full-time gig, I'm a daddy. I preach a little bit on the side. My my main gig is making that woman right there smile as wide as she can smile. I don't want to be confusing. Can you raise your hand just so? (laughs) That didn't look like it. And so I got to show up at home. Some of you, some of you aren't showing up at home. Some of you are failing. I'm talking to men right now for a second. You're failing at this. Yeah, you got a successful business. Yeah, you're a great coach. Yeah, you're a teacher, and you get all these cards, and you've changed my life. And your kids haven't heard you say a kind thing to them in weeks. Your wife hasn't had you look into her eyes and kiss her one of those kisses that make the kids go, you know. (laughs) You haven't given her one of those kisses in a long time. Listen, I don't. Great. You're a great businessman. Fantastic. You're a great teacher, great musician. You're a great preacher. Whatever. How are you doing at home? Are you hustling at home? The same, you know, eagerness and urgency that you hustle at church and you hustle at the job and that, you know. Sisters, I talked to you today, too. I mean, you show up at home. Hustling at home? 
And I don't need to get too far into this because already you're examining yourself and the Holy Spirit is convicting you even in this moment. So I'm just going to let that marinate and I'm going to move on. Okay? And I always say this to you. You've got to hustle at work. Stop passing out. Stop passing out our invites. Stop wearing our shirts if you're not going to come to work on time. Just stop it. Just stop it. Stop wearing our stuff and stop talking about Jesus all the time if you're on Facebook half the day. Just stop it. It's a terrible Christian witness. And we're all witnesses for Christ. Some of us are just better than others. And so just stop it. If you're not going to be an example, if you're not going to give a full, honest day's work and show up and be alive and hustle at work, just stop talking about Jesus. You're having the reverse effect. And some of you feeling convicted even now because you haven't had a full, honest day's work, honest work week in years. And some of you, if you were to play this out, right? You, you would cut your boss a check and say, here is what you don't owe me. You know, I kept 25% of this because that's about how much I worked this week. You can have the rest of this back. Do you think you bring glory to God? You think you're honoring him? You think you, if God requires you to serve and get low when you don't get paid, <laughs> what do you think he expects you to do when you're actually getting a paycheck? And so God is calling us to hustle at home. He's calling us to hustle at work. He's calling us to hustle in a world around us. Everywhere you go, if you have eyes of a servant, you see needs and you see holes and you see people who are downcast and see people who need to have somebody get up under. If you have the eyes to see it, if you realize that this is who you are. So in your world around you, God wants to awaken our hearts this morning and open our eyes to see those who need his touch through us, the world around you. Finally, God wants you to hustle in your local church, to hustle in your local church. Now, you probably came in today, particularly if you're new around here, and you realize that things were a little bit different today. Uh, you came in, nobody's at the door, you had to get your own bulletin. You've been thinking about that warm cup of coffee all morning, and you went to get the coffee, and there was no coffee. You've been waiting all week to drop your kids off in kids' church. (laughs) And so you felt like the rapture came and you were left behind when you saw that sign that said, no kids' church today. You were like, why did I even come? (laughs) And you came in ready to groove to a full band and you saw me up here with a guitar in my neck. There's no, you're like, man, I didn't bring my Bible today. They're not going to put the scriptures up. Nobody back in the tech booth. Nobody at hospitality. Uh, you say, what's going on? Well, we gave our volunteers the week off. Oh, oh, and, and the kids, uh, I'm glad that they were a little noisy today because usually they're real quiet and the point is not quite made. But I heard some murmurs today. Thank you, children. <laughs> One, we thankful for our volunteers. We could not do this without them. But we also wanted to give you a picture of what this looks like if nobody would serve. A picture of what this would look like if our weekend deal was just run by people who get a paycheck. We have a few staff people. 
And so the bulletins were done and certain other things were done. But all of our volunteers that make this place work, we just sort of gave them the week off. Because it's hard for us to recognize that, you know, that warm cup of coffee didn't just come from the heavens. Right? And that somebody, if they're watching your kids, then they're not in here. And they have decided to get up under your kids for that weekend so that they might be able to learn about Jesus so that you can sit in here without all the murmuring. Right? And so when there's a full band up here, these people have likely come in on Saturday night or Saturday morning, spend a couple hours in rehearsal, and then they get here about an hour earlier on Sunday so we can run through the set one more time. Uh, And so they've given three, four hours before even Sunday morning so that we can not be a barrier to you in worship. Our tech professionals skilled at balancing and mixing the room and creating the graphics so that they are visual aids and our hospitality folks that come in and they serve and they get the place going and our facilities crew, they're cleaning the bathrooms and mopping the floor. They still, by the way, had to come in last night so the place could be clean. So thank you, facilities crew. Uh, but but, but this, man, this takes some people to get this done. And so what we realize around here is if you don't ever see it not being done, we don't just take it away for one Sunday morning. You might get the impression that everything's cool and you don't have to serve and that you're not needed. Trust me, you are needed here uh, in the vineyard. We appreciate you. And we say without any reservation, if you check your kids in, then we don't have any problems about asking you to serve down there at least once a month. You've got an effervescent personality and a smile that can light up a room. We want to put you in the door, give you a stack of bulletins so that you can allow people to feel the same welcome that you felt. you got an eye for atmosphere and decor. We would love to have you on our decorating team. We'd love to have you serving in various ways. say, I don't have any skills, but I can clean with the best of them. Mark would love to have you on his team. And he said, amen. He said, amen. So you don't have to be important. And you don't have to be, you know, aspiring to do this because only a few people can do this. That doesn't make me important. It just means that this is what God has gifted me to do. And maybe your gifting is to sing or maybe your gifting is to play. Some of you are not gifted to sing and play and we won't let you anywhere near any microphones or any instruments for your good and ours, right? But our job is to find where people are gifted and talented and put them in the right seat on the bus. And so some of you are like, okay, I feel like, you know, I, I, I want to sign up for something. Well, I'm glad you feel that way because after service today, we're going to have our ministry fair. Now, some of you have experienced our small group fair, which is where our small group leaders are behind tables. They've got little snacks, and you can go talk to them about different small groups. So today is our ministry fair where our ministry coordinators, those who lead various ministries, will be back at these back tables back here. They'll have a little dessert, and you can go back there and talk to them about their ministry, and you can sign up. Now, signing up doesn't mean you've, you know, you've commit, made a commitment for 10 years. It just means you can, you can contact me, uh, give me some information about this. I, I'm, I'm interested in serving in this particular area. And so I want everybody after service, if you're not already serving in a ministry, to go visit our ministry fair, particularly if you call this your church home. You say, well, I'm not a member yet, but if this is where you call home, is this where you come get fed, if this is where God feeds your soul, it serves us well to give back and to serve in the vineyards where we eat. Amen? And so we're going to have an opportunity 
to do that. Listen, friends, God is calling us to hustle. He's calling us to serve. He's calling us to get low. That starts when we know who we are in him. We got nothing to prove. We don't have to impress anybody but him. And what he's impressed with more than anything is when we take off our cloaks of importance, wrap the proverbial towel around our waist, pour some water in a basin, and we serve. We serve at home. We serve at work. We serve in a world around us. We serve in our local context. And I'm sure I'm missing some other places. Will you commit to do that? Will you let the Holy Spirit continue to do a work in your heart, continue to speak to you in this way? I hope so. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you, Jesus, for your example and the ways you call us to greater measures of service greater degrees of laying down our lives and getting low. Lord, for those of us who struggle in this area, for those of us who have an issue with this, for those of us who need our guts to be rewired, Father, I pray that you would do that right now by your Spirit. I pray also, Lord, if there's anybody here feeling guilt or shame or condemnation, feeling talked down to, Father, I pray that you would remind us by your Spirit that that's not what you're about. You're calling us higher. You're pressing us in. You're calling us to hustle and focus on one thing, and that is honoring you. And we honor you by getting low, humbling ourselves, and serving you and the people around us. Lord, would you teach us how to serve? Would you create within us an instinct to serve and to fill holes and to encourage and to bless and to eliminate burdens from other people? Would you do that for us by your spirit? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.